Hi, and welcome to Drafting Compliance with Hyperproof. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about gap analysis. As always, I'm Kane, he's Tom, and uh, Tom, I have a bit of good news for you, actually. I canceled my wine club subscription. <laughs> I'm sure that isn't true, but I bet you did get I'm, some beer in the mail. I genuinely canceled my wine club subscription. The reason why is my favorite winery actually had a sale. Um, oh. they were, they're moving and uh, love them a lot, so I went and bought cases and cases and cases of it so i think i'm set for wine for the next uh for the next year i hope oh but um i know today we're instead we're going to be talking about a beer right as always we're going to kick off our our episode of drafting compliance by sampling a craft beer and getting your take on it so <laughs> today so i want to beer... say i've had this in my fridge and i, I want I want you to zoom in on that picture there, if you will. I had this at <laughs> eye level every time I opened my refrigerator, and this man does not look like he's having a good time. Oh, I think I think he looks like he's uh, about to sing some kind of rift. I'm not sure exactly what what's going on on the can, but it looks like the a microphone or something in the front there. I don't know. I but don't this know. It's is... also got like an eyeball on it too. So yeah, again, very unique. So this is uh, from Oliphant Brewing, which is in my my neighborhood. It's it's up in Wisconsin, just outside of actually the Twin Cities, so just over the border in Wisconsin from Minnesota. Uh, it's called Super Squishy. It is a sour beer. So if you look at you know sort of rank all of my favorite beers, uh, sours are usually not high on the list. Although I've had a number of them that are quite good. This one has blackberry, raspberry, and coconut in it. So it's a sour ale. Yeah, I love that they've got the tasting notes posted right on the can. And I will say I'm one of those people that I like coconut milk, but not coconut flakes. So mm. that's just like not my thing. Um, well, and also, Tom, mine. I've got that brand new beer glass that you sent. So thank well, you cheers. for that. Apparently yeah. it will make the beer taste better, you said, right? It, it opens it up. So it has you get more of the aromatics associated with it. But yeah, let's pour it and have a look. Oh, my. I can well, tell you right away the color. different color than the last one yeah this, this looks, has a oh dear it's almost not all like gonna a grapefruit fit. yeah it's I'm not, not sure i like this can. Uh, oh that's the problem okay did i do yeah. the head right you did great okay, yeah so good. I'm, I'm so i'm not sure if this. the camera picks it up but this has almost a a grapefruit appearance when it's, it's kind of cloudy too i mean yeah. i've seen things oh, it's like definitely, this come it's out of sewer <laughs> it's definitely an ale so if we smell it oh that smells like oh ale with something rotten fruit well it smell i smell the sour in it if if that makes sense i smell the taste a little bit i guess maybe like weirdly like raspberry or some kind of like yeah i get i get the berry smell in it for sure which some it has berry it what, what's this supposed to have blackberry no it's been a while since i've had oh it says raspberry right on the can. raspberry and blackberry both yeah i, I get a little bit of berry. read that i do not detect the coconut i'm gonna give it a taste yeah, and then we're going to talk about gap analysis, um, gap between, say, example, wine and beer. Well, it's definitely sour. It's, it's... Oh, gosh, that's, <laughs> oh. So, so your reaction, as always, a little stronger oh, than Oh, I mine. get the coconut. Oh. Uh, yeah, the coconut comes going. late. Oh. And now berries. That's not right. Well, I'll say this about it: you the coconut is subtle, but it comes it comes late. It's on the back of the it's on the back of the finish. Up front, you get the sour, but it's not overpowering sour like a many like many of the sours I've had. It's actually a pretty good sour. Um, you definitely taste the berries. The berries stick around the longest. 
Yeah. Well, that's super squishy from Oliphant Brewery. Uh, not one of Kane's favorites, um, but I'm going to tell you as far as I, I, I would, I would, I would summarize as this: if you like sours, you'll like it. If you don't like sours, you may like it because sours are not one of my favorite, but I find this pretty palatable. If you don't like beer, you won't like it. <laughs> now, our prior agreement was that I was going to do a two to ten scale, and I'm already refactoring uh, the scale <laughs> associated with this. Now, knowing that there are things worse than the two, um, mm. let's keep this one on. Oh, geez, then we have to do maths. It's less than a two, more than a one, but let's round up and still call it a two. Okay, two. that's interesting. Well. Um, I find this easily drinkable, so I could enjoy this probably on a summer's day pretty easily. So I'm going to give it a six on, on a six. scale because sours are still not what I would normally reach for, but I find this pretty good. Fantastic. Well, let's move on to gap analysis. So um, as part of doing FedRAMP Moderate, uh, you came into the organization, you evaluated kind of, and I've done consulting before, so gap analysis is not new. So it's kind of a where we are and where do we need to be. So tell me how you got that process started, Tom. Yeah, that's a great question. Is as you as you indicated, I'm new into the organization, so you know I've not been a hyperproofer for long. Although I can already tell you the company feels very much like my family already, so that's one of the benefits of being at hyperproof. But I I had to quickly kind of determine where we sit in terms of our current compliance sitting. Now I want to draw the line of difference between information security and compliance here because they are two different things. We have a very mature infosec posture meaning a lot of the pieces uh, that you would expect in a mature security organization are in place because we built this thing Greenfield not many years ago. So that gives us a leg up in the information security world. In the compliance world, that means all of those steps that you've taken are well documented and you've, and you've generated proof associated with them. You know that. Yeah, so, and in our case, we're, we're already SOC 2 type 2. So we've got some of those artifacts existing. That's right. We have a number of those existing, although when you look at a SOC 2, that's a very prescriptive scope and mm -hmm. you have, certainly you have the ability to influence the scope in SOC 2 as well. Not so much in FedRAMP. FedRAMP is, the scope is very large. It's not particular, it is prescriptive, like you know what you're going to get audited, but it's not, it's not narrow in, in, in band at all. So you have a lot to look under. In, in the case of moderate, you have 325 controls in which to um, you know, document appropriately, generate proof, have organized and hand off. So what I did was pretty simple. When you come in, in an organization like this, which from a compliance perspective, we're somewhere in between greenfield and mature. Mm -hmm. uh, I gather up all of the artifacts that are in place in part when of you say artifacts, that's like policies, procedures, anything else you looked at? Guidelines and standards, which there were okay, a couple fantastic. of those as well. Did we have any yellow sticky or any paper notebooks that you had to examine too? I sometimes have found those. Yeah, I have found those in my past too. You, you and I both come from a compliance um, consulting practice. But no, here okay. we are all digital. So I was combing through um, secure shares essentially. But the good news is fairly well organized. So I knew pretty quickly where to find things. And when I didn't, there was somebody who could point me there. So when you look at that, you want to have a good understanding of what you want to compare against, right? In this case, for me, it's the FedRAMP moderate control set. I am very familiar with that control set. And certainly I brushed up on the 17 families of controls uh, before I started that. But essentially, I want to say, okay, 
are we are we already suggesting that we're doing something in policy and or procedure? And if we are, can I prove that in one way or another? So for instance, one way of, of proof is to say we have some automated system that generates proof. I can tie it directly back to the policy or procedure and we are good. In other cases, it's you talk with the SME who has responsibility for that particular act or control and you ask them to generate that proof. Mm-hmm. In in my case, we are in a very compressed timeline. So I'm trying very hard to move quickly to implement. So I skipped over much of the interview. I did some of the interviewing, so don't get me wrong. I talked with a lot of people okay. really quickly. But what I didn't do is sit down with anybody for a day and, and say, you know, let me follow you through what you're doing on a daily basis. If I had more time, that's probably a more comfortable way for me to get uh, in a position where I understand how informal controls are p- potentially being accomplished, if that makes sense. All right, and, and, and so looking at that then, you kind of spoke a little bit to a challenge there of just not having enough time. When you're thinking of documenting all of this, um, all of these gaps for gap analysis, were there any other challenges that you ran into that other organizations might face? Yeah, I would say no matter where in the in the life cycle of a project like this you sit, you're going to always have a struggle with resource time. So think of it this way. When you're doing compliance work to get uh, a program move forward, you're sort of working on the business and you're not working in the business, if that makes sense. Uh, You're asking a bunch of operational folks to step out of their daily task assignments, sprints, whatever it is that they're working, whatever methodology they're working in, and pivot to a new set of work that basically asks them to prove they're doing what they think they already do. Right. <laughs> so it's not necessarily work that they wanted. They're so it's excited. Not exciting. They're work. not going to be right. thrilled about that opportunity. Yep. OK, that's right. But we walked through that in in again, in this in the sense of my timeline, I was very compressed. So I walked through a, a deeper dive on one control set, of, uh, one family of controls. So access control is what I, I took a deeper dive in. And those were most of of the questions I asked. Right. So I said, you know, how are we doing session timeouts? Um, How do we manage uh, people that come and go in the organization? Right. So there's, I think, 43, 44 controls just in access control. So by diving deep in that one control family, I had a pretty good understanding of how we in a larger sense have approached um, compliance in the organization. So. I took a shortcut and I extrapolated from one control family what I thought it was going to be across all control families, where I, I should say that a little differently. I reviewed all policy, so I knew where we were missing policy and procedure. Mm-hmm. But in terms of oper- operationalizing those controls, I took a, I took a, a leap uh, of you know, extrapolating from one family. That's purely because of the timeline. So if you're going to do this um, as honest and as well documented as, as you possibly can, you would actually physically walk through all of those things, each control family, and understand the gap analysis. Um, okay, so just, so and you could be wrong, right? And I've had, I think you've probably had these situations too, where somebody doesn't show you an artifact, document, a policy, whatever, and then as part of your readout to the client, they have said, "Well, wait, you didn't ask me, and I've got this." You know, they pull out a massive document, so that still could happen, right? Where you could have missed or omitted an, an artifact, right? Oh, and that would actually be a good thing in this case because we're working yep. internally on the business as opposed to a consultancy where you're giving them a readout that they're presumably playing you know, a good coin for it, right? That's right. And then the, the other thing that's important to know is you may in fact have a 
let's pick a policy, an access control policy in place. That access control policy doesn't necessarily meet the requirements of FedRAMP. So, so it's one thing to have the policy in place. And so I, for instance, I read through our access control policy. I would say it's 60 to 70% of the language in there met FedRAMP, but we needed to edit it to make it FedRAMP compliant, right? And most of those edits were to formalize controls that are already in place. All right. And, and how have you been communicating all of this, all of these gaps that you've been finding? Have you found something that works really well? Is this going into a, uh, into a PowerPoint deck? You're writing this up in just lengthy Word documents? Are you putting yellow stickies on a wall and making a spider yeah. web with like red string? What are you doing for that communication of gaps? Yep, perfect. So I pulled together a PowerPoint presentation, presented it to the leadership team. Really, the goal of that was to inform them of where I think we sat day one of the project mm -hmm. and give them a sense of the lift given the timeline that we needed to go through. So in the in our case, you know, we're on a 12 month timeline. It's extremely aggressive. I, I think by any organizational measure, that's an aggressive timeline. The average is, is 18 months, but the average mm -hmm. also uh, contemplates a dedicated team of SMEs. So what, what we have here is very compressed so in, in order to get that, um, that project plan built, I really worked backwards from the timeline. So I built a timeline that said, hey, if we want to be ATO certified by the end of 2023, mm -hmm. what, are the, what are the pieces of that process that are outside of my control? Namely, the, the timeline of the sponsorship and the timeline of, of the authorization board. And then I said, what is the average timeline for a 3PAO to do a readiness assessment? Mm -hmm. So all of that together, if it runs smoothly, the part out of my control is six months. So that means that we'd have to plug any gaps that you identified during gap analysis in the next six, six months. months. That's correct. Right. And that's, that's how we derived our project timeline. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty simple math. <laughs> and it, here's what we didn't contemplate is we did not contemplate what that means to existing resources in the organization. We are certainly contemplating that as we go through the project now. But if, 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 you know, if I were to say there is one mistake that we've made so far, it's that we were not more forceful upfront with the resource requirements needed. Okay, and that's just making sure that people understand that either this is a new task on top of their existing workload or that we might actually have, are you suggesting we might have to have additional dedicated resources to support this effort? Uh, well, that's certainly an option. I would say okay, we so have... that's something you'd see in other organizations, right? Where you could bring in like yep. a consultancy or bring in additional like contract resources? Yep, Th those are certainly options. And uh, I'll tell you this, if you're going to bring in contract resources, if you're going to put them directly on the project, they're probably going to be documentation specialists and or SMEs mm -hmm. on the compliance platform itself. You're not going to bring in SMEs uh, from an outside vendor that are operational experts in your environment. That, right. I mean, that, that that's a sure way to misstep in compliance, in my in my opinion. Definitely. So don't it's, there's going to be time required to actually train them up on what the yeah. existing procedures yeah, even got... are, and they will fail an interview 100% of the time, moment, well, 98% of the time. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, right? So that so you said that resources were a gap and, and possibly our first mistake. I think my first mistake was um, 24 beers in a year. <laughs> 
<laughs> going to write that one down as possibly. I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's character building is what we're going to go with. That's right. Um, so so that's kind of where we are on gap analysis. Anything else, uh, Tom, to to close out the episode? You know, the the only thing I would say is if you're doing this in your organization, there are some maybe a, a couple bright spots that you should make sure you absolutely have sorted out as you go in. First is you should have leadership commitment at the top of your organization. Definitely. So if you're if you're going through any compliance uh, journey and you don't have buy-in at the leadership level, one, it's required by most frameworks, but two, um, you're you're going to fail in terms of of achieving what you set out to achieve initially. The second thing it's is just is, cannot be a bottom-up arrangement. It's got to right. be driven from the top. Yep. And the second thing I would say is if you already have a framework in place, you are light years ahead of many organizations that are going on FedRAMP journey mm-hmm. and fi- find a tool set that allows you to move that current framework forward into FedRAMP. And when you say a framework, you mean something like NIST cybersecurity framework or yep. Center for Internet Security's critical security controls or something like that, right? Not you, just the framework it. that Joe, who is in the basement, thought up the other day. Yeah, you are correct. If you're, if you're using one of the widely accepted industry security frameworks, um, you, you will be able to move into FedRAMP more easily. You're still going to have to edit a bunch of documentation, but you still will have an enormous step forward of where you'd be otherwise. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think our next episode will be coming out. We'll probably, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about. I think it's going to be the progress we make in this, in this sprint, right? That'll yeah, probably absolutely. be one of our first things. Any, any obstacles that we face, any obstacles we overcome, hopefully more obstacles that we overcome. And again, a, a, a different beer than I'm going to be frightened of anything. This has just got like eighties graffiti logo. So I'm going to be feared <laughs> of anything else that comes uh, in the mail that looks like that. But oh, well, Tom, I as always, it. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you did. I can still taste a little bit of it, (laughs) even despite drinking water. But with that, again, this has been Drafting Compliance. Uh, We will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.